The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I'm absolutely delighted to bring a voice from New York City, in fact the South Bronx, the poorest congressional district in America. Stephen Ritz is a, a school teacher and administrator, and he is a hero. Uh, in fact, you just received a hero award, Steve, for your, your work in urban community gardening with some of the youth there in the South Bronx. So welcome. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I, I just think I was lucky enough to get the award that the really kids deserve. But that being said, it's just a pleasure to be here. Well, I'll tell you, I first met you in New York City. I was at the school and community, the school food and community forum that Hillary Baum was putting on. And I was so taken by your presentation. And in your words, you says, you say, you have moved kids from crack to cucumbers by teaching them the power of nature. And I remember you had a t-shirt on that said, Green the Ghetto. And you talked about your environmentally based program. So tell us what you've done. Well, oh, that's a lot to bite off. It's not, so, first, it's not what I've done. It's what kids have done. Um, and it's what very creative people have allowed me to do within the context of what needs to be done. And I, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, coming from the South Bronx, uh, there are a lot of obstacles in life. Um, yet nature or nurture is probably a good combination of two, but how do you move the stick forward? Um, and we just kind of succeeded by accident. Um, and then once we had some success, you know, nothing succeeds like more success. Um, so when you can take kids who are really apart from everything and make them a part of something, it really changes lives. Um, and as an educator, I'm always interested in things that succeed, the newest and the best. But there are certain things that just don't fail. And one of the things we found out sideways is that, you know, if you put something in the ground and you give it some sun and you give it some light, it's going to grow. Um, and at first I was telling the kids what was growing because I was singing and I was dancing when they weren't there. And then they figured out I was lying, but the stuff kept growing. Um, and we planted some seeds, and the seeds really took life, and they took life in ways that I think to this day we still really can't believe. But here we are. We're doing it. We're doing it well, um, and we're going forward, and that's really the most important thing. So by making kids, in, by, by tapping into what works naturally, um, we've been able to really accomplish great things, and we hope to keep doing that, and we're changing lives, and we're just really changing lives. Well, you've been a teacher in the South Bronx for 12 years, and you've been credited with consistently generating 100% passing rates on New York State Regents exams in both math and science, with one, with really, I would say, some, if not one, of the most challenging student populations in New York City. Coming from the poorest congressional district in America, you, you work with students who are not ready to learn when they get to school. They're dealing with the troubles of poverty at home. Uh, how did you work your magic with these kids? I lied. <laughs> um, I just, first of all, you've got to be there every day. So you've got to show up. You've got to be a consistent person. Um, and, and I think, you know, 
The one thing about today's kid, more than anything else, giving the wealth of stimulus out there, is that they really are very people-savvy, um, and they're also leery. Um, that being said, if you're a warm person, if you're caring, kids know who really care. Kids tend to know who care about them. Um, and if you're there every day, you just kind of use that relationship to go forward. Um, I jokingly say I'm the oldest sixth grader you'll ever meet. And, um, <laughs> I think that's probably the truth. And if you don't believe it, I'll fight you for it because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still the oldest sixth grader you'll ever meet. Um, and I think the kids appreciate that. Um, you just want them to succeed and you want them to feel welcome. And uh, that, that's really how it starts. Um, and then you've got you to really kind of look at what their skills are. I'm always like an asset-based guy. Um, you know, we could talk forever about what the problems are, but we really got to live in the solution and look at what, what do these kids bring to the table. And I think kids come to school, whether they're mandated by court or probation, and I've had my fair share of those, they want to be there. So you want to make it as pleasant as possible. And when I mean pleasant, I mean not punitive, um, because these kids are really accomplished at failing, and they're really accomplished at getting in trouble. So you want to make the process of not failing and not getting in trouble while doing something productive um, very important and very pleasing, and I think that's real, prob- that, that's real possible. And, um, you know, the kids do it. They want to succeed. No one gets up in the morning to come to school to go through a metal detector to fail. Um, yeah. It's our obligation to meet them. So if you feed them, they'll eat it. You know, and if they grow it, they want to eat it. It just amazes me what kids put in their mouth on a day-to-day basis. So if you come with some alternatives... Um, they get excited about that. And that's always a good point of entry because the kids come to school hungry. You know, where do vegetables come from? Aisle 9 in the supermarket? No, they come from somewhere. And um, every kid somewhere knows somebody. Um, and now more than ever in an international community in the South Bronx, they're coming from other places where someone gardens or some aunt or grandmother has something growing in the kitchen some way, somehow. Um, that becomes a story. Um, and it's actually a life cycle, and it can mimic a kid's life cycle, and it can mimic a success lifestyle. And um, lo and behold, you know, really, if you put the seeds in the ground, they're going to succeed. Um, we got this box of bulbs as a gift. The kids. Oh, Steve, are you there? So we received this box of bulbs, um, and lo and behold, we didn't much know what to do with it. The kids thought um, perhaps they were onions. Um, and let me back up by saying I think you've heard this, that, you know, to me, growing up, the world would be better if it was all dark and indoors, kind of like a nice club or a good intimate restaurant. So we put these things to the side, and we left them behind the radio, and we figured we'd, we'd get to it. And lo and behold, um, in these old school buildings in New York City, the radiator burst, and it forced the bulbs. Oh. So we saw these onions with these big green things coming out of the front, and people are like, Wow, they're going to be flowers. Wow, they're going to be something. And some of the guys wanted to give them to girls. Some of them said we could sell them. And that was the impetus and of part of how this started. And we found out about this thing called the Daffodil Project, uh, which was in memory to 9-11, um, where New York City plants these daffodils. So it had gotten to me somehow because people know I'm always doing nutty things with kids. Um, bulbs were probably the sanest thing I've ever done to that point with kids having done a 21-foot python in a class and 1,500 gallons of fish tanks. So, but we didn't know what they were. So that being said, they started to grow. And kids were kind of upset because they were like, well, we were hoping they were onions and we could eat them with steak. You know, they wanted to make, you know, like the Chinese pepper steak because that's the most common thing around here, or some kind of beef with Chinese vegetables, you know, through a bulletproof window. Um, so they grew, 
And um, I got more bulbs, and lo and behold, the kids just really felt productive planting bulbs. So we went all over New York City planting bulbs, um, and the kids would show up for this. A, because if the kids were really apart from everything and were becoming a part of something, um, we always were welcomed wherever we went. They were getting credit. I would do a writing assignment. They could talk about what they were doing. Um, it felt good. Um, it, it was productive. And uh, it just took off, I think, and that's how we started the Walton Green Team program. And in essence, we took kids with 40% attendance, got it to 93%, and wound up with a 100% graduation rate. And a lot of kids in that program had some serious, serious issues. Um, And needless to say, what always concerns me is when you see kids in the 17 to 21-year-old crowd range that, you know, have these kind of issues. One place they usually go back to in two years is the root of all evil. So the fact that they were engaged in school and 100% graduated um, was just phenomenal. And they really succeeded in kind of these green endeavors where it's a project that if you start it, you're going to see it change instantly. And the harder you work, the more work you're going to get done. And no matter what, people say please and thank you. Um, and along the way, there's a kind of pride of ownership. So we started seeing things like graffiti in schools go down, littering in schools go down. And then lo and behold, in that year, we planted a garden. And that first year, well, we planted a very big garden, um, so to speak. And uh, we grew, I think, three to 4,000 pounds of vegetables, which was just insane. Um, and that was the start. It's just kind of snowballed. Um, and then you link academics to it because everything in science is really well. It's getting information. It's predicting the kids got involved. The city was very gracious, and I can't say enough about you know city politicians who a needed to embrace these kids and then chose to embrace these kids and really loved them and made them a part of. So kids who usually would be the kind of kids people are discussing behind closed doors were welcome to come into open doors and got involved in city council meetings and stuff like that and really had some valid input. Um, into what was going on and felt valued by those making decisions. So, Steve, it sounds like this miraculous change you've witnessed in these students really started with a box of bulbs. Absolutely. It's, yeah, I guess really that's very well put, um, you know, a box of bulbs. A box of bulbs. And who gave you this box of bulbs and why? The Bronx Council on Parks and Green Spaces, um, and it was part of an outreach program to schools and to community leaders um, started by the Daffodil Project in commemoration of 9-11. But the the bulbs came to me sideways only because, oh, give it to that teacher upstairs with those kids. He'll know what to do with it. And quite frankly, I didn't. So we put it behind a... uh, we put it behind a radiator because I didn't know what they were. Um, I think I've told you before that, you know, I'm really like, I'm the green guy now, but I really come from like dark places and lots of indoors. Um, the world would be better if it was dark and indoors, like a nice restaurant or a good club. Um, so we didn't know what to do with them, and I had enough issues with the kids that I wasn't willing to complicate things, although they did want to eat them. They thought they were onions. Um, and lo and behold, in this old building that I was working with, uh, the heat, the heating unit, the old steam unit kind of, blue, the, the stuff around it blue, and it actually forced the bulbs. So we realized that no sooner than I got them that they started to grow. Um, and the kids were fascinated. They realized they were going to be flowers. Some thought we could sell them. Some thought they could give them to girls. Always a good thing. Um, and that was, that was probably the first impetus to get going in this. And we learned about the Daffodil Project. We got involved with It's My Parks Day. And um, I just convinced the kids to show up. 
And so many of the people who ran It's My Parks Day, uh, which is sponsored by New York City, usually in the month of October. So, yeah, it was in the month of October. I was so impressed by the work ethic of these kids. And these kids were just delighted to be out and doing something, and it was a way to engage them in school. Um, so they came out on the weekend, and some of them were like, wow, we'd love to hire you. Do you have jobs? And kids didn't realize that there were really jobs related to planting and park maintenance and greening um, and, like, landscaping. So that was the beginning of it. Um, and then it grew into an awareness that, wow, this guy has this really strong, agile labor force, and if you call them, they will come. And uh, the cool thing is that if you fed them, they definitely came. So uh, people started calling me up to get these kids involved in feeding them. Um, and they would do these really magnanimous, back-breaking jobs that really made them feel a part of, because even some kids who are gang members and can't go into other communities, when you're coming to a community to do something nice that no one else is willing to do, you're welcomed. Um, and that kind of changes the human dynamic. And isn't that a great thing? It's revolutionary. Yeah, imagine that. You know, like you're welcome. People say thank you. And, uh, you know, you can get beyond the color of the clothes you're wearing or... Or the color the co- of your skin. The co- and most importantly, the color of your skin. Absolutely. Well, I watched um, a portion of your story on YouTube. And if anyone is interested in, in seeing this transformation, you can just search on Google with YouTube for Urban Farming NYC. And one of the one of the stories that's told is how you've got 14,000 people in the South Bronx, four jails, two sewage plants, and one, one store where you can buy groceries for 14,000 people. And the highest asthma rates in the country, certainly we know we've got higher obesity rates in low-income urban areas. And now you're using unused city land not only to feed yourselves and these kids, but also to feed the homeless. Um, yeah, and then you know what's remarkable? Yeah, that's true, and it's not only the homeless. Um, it's working people, um, which is really kind of wild in this economy, um, simply because, you know, traditionally soup kitchens were for drug addicts or alcoholics or, or men or the loners. But, you know, you've got families that are now showing up for two, three meals a day. And right. I'm actually seeing some of these kids in school um, that, you know, that I've been feeding through the years because I've moved from school to school, kind of, you know, moving this program around because there's been so much interest. And thank God, so much support. Because in the process of making kids who are apart from everything a part of something, they succeed and attendance goes up and graduation rates go up and performance goes up. So everybody wants a little piece of it. And, you know, I need to be very gracious here and acknowledge a couple of people for sure because this was a success that the community developed. And, you know, when you talk about these neighborhood-based things, I mean, it's really remarkable that we had this great labor force, and I knew someone who knew me. And, uh, you know, we wound up working with Majora Carter and Sustainable South Bronx on the green roof on the American Banknote building. And lo and behold, some of the kids were so good, they actually went into the best training program and graduated. And these were kids who were probably not going to do much of anything productive because of the way they were oriented prior so I got to, you know, certainly say thanks to Sustainable South Bronx, Majora Carter, um, Bissell, Bissell Gardens, and our dear friends Russ and Teresa LeCount. Uh, you know, and this is a real touching story because um, Russ and Teresa probably look about as different to these kids as any two people could be. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But, you know, we, the, the kids embrace them, and they embrace the kids. Um, and, you know, we built this thing. In the first year, we had 3,000 pounds of vegetables. Then we hooked up with urban farming. Um, so I can't say enough about urban farming. Um, 
And when you realize that urban farming is, is rooted in the belief that, you know, during World War II, Americans had victory gardens, and, and, and why can't we do that now? Exactly. Um, so, so there's that piece. Uh, who else do I really... Then there was the growing connection, and that's probably the wildest thing, because I don't know if you're aware of this thing called Earth... I'm sure you are, Earth Boxes, where, you know, you can, you, it's a hyper-efficient way to grow vegetables. And believe it or not, my kids from that first program were invited to appear at Next Fest and meet the astronauts, um, which was such a privilege because these were kids who were not getting those kind of invitations. They were getting invited to appear in other public places, usually to appear before a jury. Um, right. But here they were meeting the astronauts, and they were some of the featured presenters at Next Fest. So we're in Jacob Javits Center with the wildest technology in the world, and in the middle is this cornfield that's grown out of these boxes. Um, and I thought it was some kind of ploy um, you know, to get you to think about flex fuels or ethanol, but no, they were really growing vegetables, and the kids were fascinated by it. We got involved with the growing connection um, through the United Nations, and then my kids, coming from the poorest congressional district in America, started a penny drive, and we were able to sponsor, you know, villages globally that had no access to fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, and it was an amazing story, linking Doctors Without Borders, people who were, you know, traveling to the heights of the Andes, and uh, in in parts of Mexico because they didn't have a certain vegetable, um, but these growing boxes enable them to have it so they didn't lose their eyesight. So instead of sending doctors, you just needed to send a box. Um, and my kids were able to do it with pennies, and then we were able to connect online with handheld cameras. It was remarkable. Um, so these are some of the successes we've had. I just got to really, you know, bring it all out to people. And then what brought it all home was that, you know, we decided we were going to do this in class. So we started growing, you know, what's the one thing everyone wants? Pepper steak. So we grew green peppers in class, and, you know, the kids were real territorial about it. We had, you know, a lot of green peppers. And then we went to Whole Foods, and we saw that green peppers were 99 cents a pound, but red peppers were 5 and $6 a pound. I'm like, Mr. Rich, you sold this down the drain. I said, no, you just learned something. And we never grew green peppers after that, and the kids got real entrepreneurial. And I think that's how I bet you at the, uh, we've gone from crack to cucumber speech, because the kids literally have. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that there's a whole wealth of unused talent and just, it's just a, oh, such resource of human capital and social capital. And, you know, we can do this. Um, and if kids eat it, if they grow it, they'll eat it. And, you know, more importantly, they'll sell it. And uh, it's not a bad thing. So, yeah, in Hunts Point, that store has since closed, but we're looking to do some of our own CSAs. Um, yeah, you saw the video, and you can pick it and eat it in under two minutes in Hunts Point now, and that's rather remarkable. Bronx Fresh, we like to call it. <laughs> that is so great, Steve. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm always amazed at the transformative, the transformative power of a garden. And I've heard many stories about how, uh, if you plant a garden, you know, gardens at prisons reduce recidivism rates. Uh, gardens in, at schools increase uh, learning ability, math scores, English scores. But you've taken a population of kids that, um, you know, we talk about the school-to-prison pipeline. And I think that you have taken that pipeline and cut it in half. You've blocked it. You've prevented kids from going down a path that really is not good for them or society. And you've, you're, you're turning this community around. I am not surprised that you were given the Hometown Hero Award for Community Service from the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum uh, a while ago. I want to ask you a question now. So one of the barriers that people say about doing school gardens or gardening projects of this kind is funding. How did you get funded to do these projects? Wow. I didn't. I didn't. 
Um, and that's okay because I don't, I, I don't see, you know, I, I don't like that word barrier um, because I think crisis equals opportunity. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, the kids, if the kids want it, they embrace it and they find a way. Um, but everybody has some space in a classroom or outside. Um, and it's just a matter of appropriating some money. I mean, and guess what? The kids have now learned in my class, the most important thing is don't eat everything because you need to save some of the seeds from the inside. So and you're saving... Aren't garbage, aren't, you're, aren't garbage. But we're, what I'm proposing to do is take this to a whole other level. I mean, I'm working with a program now at Discovery High School um, in the Bronx, and I'm thrilled to be there, and I'm thrilled with the kids I'm working with. And they're getting pounds of worms for Christmas. And we are going to be growing things with those worms and, you know, composting and using school waste in ways that people never imagined. And uh, we're going to, so you, I mean, the, the, the resources are here, and that's what people don't realize. Um, it's really there. Every building has a roof, um, and there are a million different kinds of mediums you can use on a roof. Every, every school has a courtyard, has a walkway. So, for example, earth boxes, the growing connection where you're using a self-contained container that's hyper-efficient. It's a one-foot by three-foot by one-foot box that, if done right, can give you 50 pounds of vegetables, you can buy them in Whole Foods, by the way, uh, so I've got to say thanks to Whole Foods. But you can also get them online. I mean, that, that, it's not a costly thing. It's 20 or $30. But the whole thing is you're creating an entrepreneurial spirit in these kids because guess what? Once my kids got their earth boxes, they only did one season of green peppers. They moved right on to red peppers, heirloom tomatoes, uh, basil. They know what sells, and they know what it sells for. And then they learn how to weigh it, and they learn how to measure it, and they learn how to market it. And... Last year, believe it or not, we uh, grew enough food in one site to serve 500 vegetarian entrees. So the kids grew starting in seeds in a classroom by themselves in little recycled paper cups and plastic cups, got it outside somewhere because they wanted to, and we, so we from seed planted enough food to produce 500 meals, vegetarian meals, for a, for a campus. And the kids loved it. Um, so... I don't, uh, barriers is a bad word. We don't do barriers. Okay, but. Crisis equals opportunity. But the grow boxes cost money. But they pay for themselves, too. So let me, let me, yeah. So, I mean, so, okay, so I will tell you, where'd I go for financing? Probably it's called Hip National, you know, my pockets. Um, <laughs> and I think that the kids were real receptive to that, too. Um, yeah, the fact that you made an investment in them. Right, because I'm, I'm at, and I do every day. I do every day, and, but they make an investment in me. The kids, the kids are coming to. God, did I lose you? Yeah, just for a moment there. Okay, the kids are coming to school every day, and showing up sometimes. Kids who come in the rain, and once I convince them that they have to be a part of something, and they're going to give me that, then you got to meet them halfway. You've got to meet them, and I wasn't the only one. Listen, that Majora Carter found time to meet with these kids and welcome them and shake their hand and share her story. That Russ LeCount, the guy who looks, you know, who, who could be like the Santa Claus model in the story, you know, was coming down and shaking hands and telling them that he believes in them and that they can do it, meant something to these kids. That Todd Savelle from Urban Farming came down and sang a song with them and actually wrote to a kid in the hospital and got hit by a car. That meant something to these kids that all the professional development and all the investment in curriculum and textbooks could never buy because it's a human connection. And these kids are apart from that. Um, so we've got to love them until they learn to love themselves. Um, this is such a beautiful story. And then I could tell you another one. I mean, I'm doing this now. I was dealing with kids last year. We got into this. I had a really motivated group of kids. 
Um, sadly, some kids um, smoke marijuana. So I was overhearing a conversation saying, with these kids saying, no, you've got to go with the organic blunt wrap. You see, because in the South Bronx, we, have, we, we don't have vegetables. We have 50 vegetable and fruity flavors uh, of, of marijuana rolling paper. So the kids are saying, you've got to go with the organic wrap because the organic wrap doesn't mess up the smoke. You know, because chemicals are bad for you and your marijuana. And, um, you know, so you've got to kind of see beyond that as a point of entry. Everything that affects these kids is a point of entry. Right. Um, and if you can use those points of entry, you can really change lives and really call attention to what they're doing instead of marginalizing them and what they do. And I don't think anybody wants to be marginalized. Um, I absolutely agree with you. So I walked into our local grocery store and said, wow, you got a sign out in the window. It says fresh wraps for sale. And the guy's like, oh, yes, what flavor would you like? They're right behind the counter. And it was um, organic blunt wrapped. And it wasn't kind of the wrap I was expecting, but um, it's a great piece for kids to understand because I tell the kids if they don't want to smoke chemicals, they shouldn't be eating them. And that's the whole nut because the kids, you know, they'll go out and smoke marijuana. And then what do they want to do? They want to sit in McDonald's and eat chemicals all night and talk about what a good time they had. So there's a million ways to create point of entry. Um, and if kids know that, A, you're invested in them, in, what is it, $10, $20? I mean, we just, what, geez, a teacher textbook costs $150. I mean, I can get enough grow boxes to do everything I need and then link all my own lessons to it in terms of moderating the soil, um, different kind of light quality, direct light, indirect light, um, changing, you know, kids can do pH testing, and a lot of this stuff is just all, all the actual labs they need to actually qualify to take the regions. Because even if you know the material, if you don't do the labs, you can't qualify. So you're actually, I mean, I once had a girl say, this is everything I've always wanted to do in school but couldn't. Aww. And isn't that kind of cool? Um, yeah. Isn't that kind of cool? Well, and at the end, you get to eat it and celebrate it or sell it. You know, someone always wants to buy it. Or, you know, you could always give it to somebody and feel good. And I've got to tell you that in the South Bronx, last year we did, through urban farming, we donated one ton of vegetables and an 18-wheel truck full of clothes um, to Covenant House. Um, so I'm going to challenge those communities of privilege to please do the same who are listening. If my kids could do it, so could yours. Um, and, and it's a real thing because kids always want to get, but when they learn to give, it really changes the dynamic of everything. Well, they say that every school should have a garden because there's a, there's a school within a garden. You know, there's, there's just what you're talking about, increasing or improving test scores by teaching them the basics of science and math right there while they have their hands in the soil and at the same time feeding themselves the kinds of foods that they could never have access to. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing teaches the power of photosynthesis like one plant under a garbage can and the other one in bright sunlight. Right. Um, and that being said, I mean, the wildest thing is in communities like mine where, listen, some kids are so gifted athletically, it's, you know, but they still don't play on the team. And then you've got kids who are morbidly obese. Gardening is a great physical activity. So when kids can't get that gym credit because they don't want to be in shorts, they don't want to change, they don't want to participate, they're a little slower, a little, a look a little different than others, gardening is a great physical activity. And giving kids PE credit for gardening, which I'm proud to say New York City is, is really with it is great because you're getting kids to do things that really change the habit. They don't want to go and garden and then go out and drink soda. They say, wow, I've done something. Let me have some water. And then they, you know, or let me, you know, I mean, the coolest thing is just watching kids eat it and getting a sense of, wow, 
you know, I can really work myself into shape. And, and you see it in other ways. I mean, yeah, there's great test scores, but guess what? I've got kids who have lost 100 pounds doing this, um, and that's totally cool. You know, uh, uh, I'm a little bit bigger than I wanted to be. It kind of caught up with me after 40, and, you know, I, I said I'm the oldest sixth grader in the world, but I, a lot of those bad habits, bad habits don't go away. They're replaced with good habits. But you don't really get good habits by doing lessons on paper and in a book. You've got to kind of make those good lessons life lessons. So tell um, me about some of the graduates of your, your program. You've been doing this for how many years? Um, gosh, in a, in a very formal sense, um, since 2004, but then in a kind of informal sense, and God, I just hope my first principal, Ms. Pamela McCarthy, is listening for letting me do the thing with the animals. When you put an animal in a class, it changes kids' lives. Um, yeah. So probably since the late 90s, um, mid-90s, actually, um, in some shape, manner, or form. But the very green thing, um, I guess since about 2003, 2004, and even that was born out of tragedy in my own life, um, and, that, and, you know, and you move forward. Right. And that being said, here we are today. It's kind of cool. So what are kids doing? Well, we have kids who are working for the Department of Environmental Correct, uh, DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection. I have kids who never, ever, ever, who come from the most urban setting in the world, who have gone on to work in the Fresh Air Fund, um, who are farm managers. I have kids who have left the city and said, I don't want to be involved in what was going on on my block but learn that I could go elsewhere, and they're raising animals. Um, I have kids who are policemen. I have kids who are working for the city. I have a lot of kids who are doing park work. I have a lot of kids. I have kids who are actually, believe it or not, and this is so cool, have gone on to work in New Orleans through the, through the uh, participation of the BEST program or working in New Orleans. I kind of feel like I have one big extended family of happy kids um, and a lot of success stories, and remarkably, they still stay connected. Um, as you're finding out on the website, they just keep checking in. Um, well, Steve, not on the website, on the YouTube. I mean, it's remarkable. Well, Steve, unfortunately, I, I realized that our time together would fly. Your story is so compelling. Um, I would like to give you an opportunity to, to give our listeners just a send-off. Is there something that they should do, perhaps visit your website? Um, or, or, excuse me, not the website, but the YouTube site, the Urban Farming, Urban Farming NYC? That's, yeah, you could do that. That's great. You can... Literally write to me at sritz at schools.nyc.gov. Again, that's capital S-R-I-T-Z, like my last name, at schools.nyc.gov. You can contact us at Urban Farming. Um, or we also have a new Get Involved NYC at Gmail. If you write us there, we'll get back to you. And what we're really doing is kind of exciting is growing this across the boroughs. Um, so there's so much going on. And it really, it starts with this one little seed in one little cup. Um, so there's something everybody can do. Well, um, and it starts with hugging somebody. It starts with hugging someone and telling them that you're going to love them until they learn to love themselves. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll make sure we get that website posted and your contact information. And I want to remind our listeners that you've been listening to Food Sleuth Radio, which is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, Steve.